With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Cherry Reds, why Bournemouth Liverpool is the game of the weekend and the Philip Billing moment that changed the season. Also, Hendo flies the coop as chickens come home to roost. There's third round replays in the cup with Hot Robins at Ashton Gate, a Hot Rob at Luton and the ultimate You Are The Ref at Wolves. The WSL returns, but Sam Kerr doesn't. How will Chelsea cope? Plus AFCON, we check the games down in Africa after a spectacular first set of matches. It's all in the Totally Football Show. It's Thursday the 18th of January. How about that, listener? Well done, we made it. Uh, we've got a Totally Football show for you today featuring Natalie Jedra from Sky Sports. Natalie, Hello. nice to see you again. Good to see you. Also, back with us, uh, Kiva O'Neill. Thanks Hi, for having Kiva. me. Yeah. Uh, Duncan Alexander. Hello. Good. Yes. Nice to see you too. Uh, everyone well? Despite the inclement conditions, how cold is it, Kiva? Minus four it was when I got to the office. It was minus five when I woke up and on real feel. Yeah. I don't know how that works, but on real feel it was minus nine. So it was almost an Everton. Minus nine? Almost an Everton. Almost an Everton. <laughs> I mean, we giggle. But perhaps you're not doing, listener, because you know that they've been hit with that 10-point penalty and Met Men say there's more on the way because they and Nottingham Forest charged this week with further breaches of the financial fair play regulations. No word yet on the points penalty. Oh, I went very serious there, didn't I? <laughs> I'm very serious. But there's so much to enjoy about this week. A, Natalie, we've got five Premier League games. There's AFCON Asian Cup going on. Perhaps you were excited by the FA Cup midweek third round replays. Perhaps. Okay. Perhaps I'm as excited as I am with the weather. <laughs> ah, right. Not excited. Of course, you're from Brazil. Yes, exactly. No, I, I feel very comforting when, when you guys are complaining about the weather because right. I don't feel like the Brazilian who's always complaining that it's too cold. You know? Okay. I mean, it yeah. gets cold in Brazil. It snows in Brazil. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it does? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a strong statement. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes the news when, it's, when it snows. All I mean, right. I'm from the north and I'm complaining about the weather. So. Yeah. See? Well, there you are. Lovely. There you are. Well, we got five Premier League games this weekend. It's the second half of Match Day 21, which began, of course, last week. Saturday lunchtime, you've got Arsenal, Crystal Palace. Will the Gunners end their losing streak? Question mark. At 5.30, Brentford Forest... 16th against 15th. Both teams uncomfortably close to the bottom three right now. Sunday at 2 o'clock, you've got actual bottom side Sheffield United facing West Ham, who were the big midweek losers in those third round FA Cup replays. At 4.30 on Sunday, Bournemouth Liverpool. And then on Monday evening, woof, Brighton Wolves. All on TV, as I say, with Bournemouth Liverpool in the Super Sunday slot. And perhaps rightly so, because those two teams are... The top two teams in the form table right now over the last eight matches with Bournemouth top and Liverpool second. How about that? How about that, Keeper? I mean, you just wouldn't have thought, would you? <laughs> um, Bournemouth have quietly, like, slowly got it together. Mm. And you felt like, I've watched a little bit of them this season, 
you felt like it was gonna happen because they sort of like needed to get up to like the fitness levels Areola wants them to be at. And now they're at them, I feel like it's really helping them because they used to tire after like an hour, they'd sort of drop a little bit, but now they're not doing that. So they're just showing exactly who they are and sort of like, he feels like a little bit of a genius, doesn't he? Mm, yeah, Areola. <laughs> Seven wins, one draw, one defeat in their last nine. If only you could pinpoint the moment when it all came together. Oh, given away by Burnley. Here's Billing. Billing, long-range effort over the goalkeeper. And in! Phil Billing from all of 45 yards. <laughs> I think we just have. There you are. What was that we just heard? Uh, that was the longest-distanced goal in the Premier League so far this season. Wow. Philip Billing uh, over James Trafford, who looked as surprised as, as he often does to see it go in. Um, that was the 28th of October, and that yeah. was Bournemouth's first win of the season. It was season. their first win, and I think if they'd have lost that game, you know, I think Iriola still had support within the club, but, you know, that sort of start would have would have probably been too much. And I think... It's quite instructive the way that they've turned it around since then. And, you know, it took, we've got a good article uh, out in Athletic today by Tom Harris looking at how, you know, when someone like Iriola comes in, it takes a few weeks, a few months even for players to sort of get used to his methods, as Kiva was saying. And, and they were brave and they stuck with it. And, um, and it's paying dividends now. And I think it's actually quite interesting because if you think this transfer window is pretty low key because clubs are essentially scared to buy players because of all the, all the fines that are coming in, well, the advantage you can get is by getting a really good manager. And, um, you know, Iriel has shown that, you know, the Premier League's already got a lot of good managers, but someone like him coming in, he really does look like, you know, the real deal. And I think a bit like when De Zerbi came in and is now obviously being coveted by other teams, I think Iriel could be in that same place. It's weird the South Coast of England has become this sort of Silicon Valley of managers. Mm. So. Very nice. On the 4th of November, I was at the Etihad for City Bournemouth and mm -hmm. City beat Bournemouth 6-1. Oh. And to be fair, it was it was a very harsh uh, scoreline in the end because they didn't play that bad. But what, 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 what really strikes me remembering that, that day is uh, I spoke to Iraola afterwards and, and to the players and to people at the club and everyone was just so calm. They were like, no, no, it's fine. It's all good. They're all happy with the manager. Everyone was really on board. And after that, they went on this amazing run with the seven wins. So they, they all just seemed very aware of everything that was happening and everything that could happen that could go wrong or right. And, mm. and now it's it's paying off for them. So so and, and he's a very interesting character. He was like you lose six one and he was so calm and, and even a bit smiley with he's mm. a, just a lovely guy, you know, and, and he has his ideas very clear, so it's always nice to to hear someone like him talking about football and talking about what he wants from his team. What did he say, Natalie? He was uh, he was upset with the scoreline because he felt like it was a bit unfair mm. because City was just so so accurate as they they usually are, but but that he enjoyed he he really focused on on the positives and on the building of things and and the things that he he saw there that really matched his ideas and everything that he was communicating to the players. I think he felt that his ideas were getting through the players. And this is why he felt so calm. And the same with the players and the same with everyone at the club. They, they felt things were, were happening and nobody was panicking. No one. Okay. Well, yeah. one positive was it wasn't 9-0, which, of course, they've uh, recently lost to Liverpool. You just can't see that happening again now. No. Although Liverpool did beat them at the Vitality, where they'll be this weekend in the League Cup. Here's a result that I certainly do remember. They, they went there in... Uh, 
They kept in November. I was there. Oh, were you it there, Keith? Nearly didn't get back. It was like a storm. Mm, storm. And I spoke to Something. the manager after the game, and I had, I think, like five minutes with him. Uh-huh. And I was just like, can I have 10, 20? Like, I feel like you just want to pick his brain more because he's just like, once he starts talking about something, you're just really intrigued by it. But that come across to me as well with the players in recent games as well. They've just got this energy, like they were losing games, but it's going to turn around. And like Luton have had that in a way as well. And I think you need it when you're down there to have that, well, the next game. But with Iraola, it felt like he was really implementing something. And Bournemouth, like as a whole, just have been trusting the process, and now it's paying off. What was the storm afterwards? Oh, I don't know what. What was it called? I feel like it was called. I Kieran, love, I love the names. The names of the storms. Yes, okay. yes. Which one? Okay, I'm going to look up because they got into weird names. Storm yes. Babette. What? It might be Storm Babette or Storm, storm, storm Kieran. Maybe. Yeah, that was one of, one of them. Really? Two. My brother's called. Because they kind of run out of the you know ordinary names. I feel yeah. like they've gone way down the. Good to, good to see an Irish name used yeah. in the, yeah. the old store. <laughs> I think they should Rankins. Next time they go around, they should go to football managers or ex football managers like Storm Allardyce. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be a good way to start. Could have been Storm Debbie. I think Debbie. Storm I think Karen Debbie was later. Was it? Yeah. But All Liverpool right. couldn't like get home, so they had to. They were flying and they had to get a coach. They had to get a coach. Which I Bournemouth mean, is what far is away from everywhere. Nineteen ninety-three. Yeah. Um, well, what is this uh, Champions League two thousand eleven? Mm. Mm. Anyway, sorry, right. Uh, but yeah, it, yeah but this right. game, <laughs> I mean, Bournemouth stopped Spurs playing in their own half, you know, kept Spurs to their lowest pass completion rate other than the, the Mad Chelsea game in a match this season. So they, they are very good at disrupting teams like Liverpool. And, you know, their centre-halves are very good at sort of clipping balls over the top. And Liverpool obviously play a high line. And I think, you know, Dominic Solanke looks like a, a man reborn at the moment. So, Storm um, Solanke this week. Storm Solanke, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think... You know, it said this to someone 20 years ago that Bournemouth-Liverpool is a really huge match. In the context of the top flight season, they'd have been confused. But they'd have also wondered why you'd, that's the only knowledge you'd have imparted after coming back from the future. But um, but yeah, should be good. Excellent. 12 goals in 19 Premier League appearances this season for Solanke, which is a marked contrast to his form when he was, uh, you know, suiting up for Liverpool, of course. I know, because he's obviously, he moved to Liverpool from Chelsea, so that's already like two big clubs. Now he's at Bournemouth. That season in the Championship, he just couldn't stop scoring. Then when they got promoted to the Premier League, he struggled a bit. But this season, it's just been completely different. I think I watched him score against Brentford and he's got this energy like that was earlier in the season before the run really kicked in but he's just got this energy like you know when you've got a forward running at the goalkeeper and you're like they're gonna score maybe he hasn't always had that Mm. but it's just clicked into gear now with him and he just looks like yeah if he's one-on-one or even there's a few defenders he's gonna um, get a shot on target and score it's great to see I think because like you join Liverpool and that doesn't quite work out for you then you know, now his career feels like he could join a top six side again, the way he's playing. He's the reigning Premier League Player of the Month, first Bournemouth player ever to receive that accolade. Of course, Liverpool have one or two uh, footballers themselves who can run at players and you feel like they're going to score a keeper. Maybe yeah. not Darwin Nunes, but the others, yeah. I mean, he'll try. He mm. doesn't stop trying. That's, I think, the most exciting thing about him and Liverpool fans will sing his name. You know, whether he does something good or well, bad. He scored a Bournemouth in the League Cup. Was that the goal oh, that where he... Um, goal, yeah. He like miscontrolled it and everyone oh, laughed at I him. I think that was assisted by the storm. Yeah, actually. and then as people were, were chuckling at his miscontrol, he just lashed it. That was corner. probably his, like, there have been so many Darwin Nunes moments, but that felt like pure him because, mm. like, miscontrol mm. and then just absolutely 
wander. Is that the player he's always going to be, do you think, Keith? I think there's like a hope, isn't there, that, you know, he'll just sort of become, like when Solanke runs on goal, when certain players like Salah, if he's running a goal, you're like, something's going to happen. I think when he gets to that level of, it almost like reassures the fans, doesn't it? Um, he doesn't quite have that yet. You kind of like, you're more expecting him now to hit it at the goalkeeper. For some reason, it's just like the goalkeeper's there and he just seems to hit it at the goalkeeper. Um, I think if he can like work that out mm. and add a bit more a sort of, I think sometimes when I watch him, it's not just about that. It's about sort of reading. You've got to be like almost like a snooker player. Like Luis Suarez was one of the best at like, if a defender's approaching the ball, he's already thinking of like, it could glance off his head and I'm making the run. I feel like he just needs to like speed that up a little bit. Yeah, he used to look so deadly when you, when you'd see him in kind of highlights in the, in the Champions League for Benfica. He looked uh, yeah, and that, obviously that season was well. That that season was strange in that he overperformed his numbers, whereas you know statistically he's one of the most the strangest players in the history of football. Like, Is that right? His numbers are off, already yeah. His numbers are off the charts. Like there's there's no scientist can explain how it happens. Like how how he keeps. He how gets, many have tried, Duncan? Um, fifteen in yeah, uh, but yeah, no, he the numbers he's producing in terms of chance creation and, and getting in positions is elite, but he's just not scoring. But he it will come. I mean, I think he needs to start taking it round the goalkeeper more. It's a lost art, and I think he's very suited to you know going round. I think he's so committed to just whacking the ball, mm. like he just loves putting his foot through it, and I feel like he just needs to yeah. relax a little bit yeah. more. Okay, listener, you're thinking Darwin needs to evolve. So we'll move on. <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of Liverpool, former club captain Jordan Henderson in the news. Uh, he's bailed on Al Etifak and is joining Ajax, which is an interesting interesting move for Ajax, interesting move for Jordan Henderson. I mean, there are footballing questions about this. Like, does it mean he's still going to be in the England squad for next summer? And I think there's other questions about to what extent does this... Uh, back up what we thought about his decision to go to Saudi Arabia uh, last summer, which I think, Kiwi, you, you wrote a piece at the time expressing about it, probably your biggest disappointment in, in football of, of recent years. Yeah, it? it was. I think, you know, when you think of Jordan Henderson, like one of the best memories I've got of him is um, watching him sort of collapse at the end of Liverpool for Barcelona nil because he was just, you know, depleted of energies. Like he used to give everything for Liverpool and you know he, he he went from a player that was you know told he could leave the club to transform and turn that around becoming obviously the heir to Steven Gerrard's throne and um, taking on the armband all the pressure with it and just becoming a player who was for a long time and still even when he left Liverpool you know he's got this like underrated history of like what he was and what he did and I think Liverpool fans knew for such a long time what he could give in sort of heart and passion as as well as skill. He could, you know, he was mm. such a good player at pressing, passing, everything. So yeah, I think when that come about, you sort of expected. I expected to be one day writing a piece like, you know, Jordan Henderson, thank you for your time at Liverpool. Like, you know, as a journalist fan, like, been amazing to um to watch him play for the club and just. I think he was like the embodiment of, you know, exactly what you want from a Liverpool captain. And then, like, you know, obviously he was a massive ally for the LGBTQ plus community and it just felt like a complete reversal of who he was and it was like, a, you know, betrayal, abandonment, like whatever you want to call it. And, yeah, it's just one of those moments, I think, that, yeah, just sort of hurt a lot of people. Mm. Um, yeah. 
I think we live in an era where we just we're just looking for for sports people, not only footballers, but sports people who will stand up against things that are happening too fast, that are happening too quickly, and and that we're not comfortable with, especially us as women. So when you see a player like Jordan Henderson that you always admire for uh, the way he always spoke about things, and there's not a lot of them. And when you see them making decisions that... um, are related to to other other reasons it's just it's it is frustrating so to see him coming back uh, i'm not gonna lie it's it's a bit of a relief because you don't have many players who who speak up against things and when you see players like like him moving to places like saudi arabia uh it's it's it is frustrating so yeah i i I wish him the best uh and i hope he he does really well at, at ajax and i hope we get uh, more sports people just speaking out uh, against things that make us very uncomfortable. I think one of the things that people pick up on this week is the is that when he did make that decision, the justification that he gave for it was that he wanted. I mean, he literally said, "I want to grow the sport in another country." Mm-hmm, yeah. So to have l- then decided to leave a couple of months later really kind of suggests that was a bit of a fig leaf. But anyway, yeah. There is this justification. And like to talk about tennis, for example, you have mm. Billie Jean King, who's such a, a big person, sports personality. And, and and she was so important for women in sports in, in general, really. And, and she advocates in having women's tennis in Saudi Arabia. So there is... The, the the discussion the argument I'm not gonna, I'm not saying that everyone who moves there is wrong sure but that represents I don't think Jordan Henderson in any way flew any flags when he went to Saudi Arabia yes quite the opposite he yes. basically I think in most people's eyes would say no I will sell out I, footballers will sell out these principles that you might find uncomfortable offer exactly. us money we'll walk away from them but anyway he's walked back and uh, yeah it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on at Ajax. Wrestling with the uh, vagaries of the Eredivisie campaign, which currently has the the former Dutch champions in fifth place after the disastrous start to the season. Wrestling with that and his conscience, of course. Uh, Next up, let's catch up on the FA Cup third round replays. For most of us, January means New Year's resolutions. But for the footballing world, January means one thing. Transfers. There's a lot going on, and to stay on top of every move that matters, you need the Athletic Football Podcast. They were prioritising somebody like Mason Mount. Five days a week, we'll help you cut through the noise with the most reliable reporters in the industry. David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, Laurie Whitwell, and many more will not only tell you what the deal is, but how it happened too. So make sure you don't miss a single transfer beat in January with the Athletic Football Podcast. Listen for free wherever you get your shows, and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Natalie, am I right in saying the FA Cup third round replays? This is all going to be new to you. 
Are you across the results? Uh, yeah, I'm across the results. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes. I watched uh, Forest yesterday. Did you? I watched a little, yeah. What, a, what an extraordinary yeah, it was tie that's been. It was, it was interesting. I was a bit disappointed because I, I wanted to watch Everton Palace, but it wasn't on. Mm. Yeah, but, but, but Forest did the job. <laughs> Were you the only person in the country after the first game between those two who wanted that to be on telly <laughs> maybe because it wasn't that exciting i was just hoping like the first game wasn't that good so no. it, it, it can only go upwards from yeah me, that's you know? true yeah well the first game between blackpool and forest was uh, very exciting with uh, forest coming back from two nil down to force a tar uh, replay and then in the replay it was they go two nil up and it's blackpool who came back to force extra time and then forest won it three two at the death, who they've got now in the fourth round is ah Bristol City, who were the big talking point, the Robins, after they beat West Ham on Tuesday. Bristol City looked wide open, but that's a bad pass there by Mavropanos, and that could be a penalty. But Bristol City are in, and Bristol City have scored, and they take the lead here. Bristol City, Tommy Conway's done it again. Tommy Conway again. He pounced on that early error. From, what a name, uh, by the way. His name is so good. Tommy Conway. Yeah, it feels like he's like in Peaky Blinders or something. Like <laughs> Tommy Conway. Yeah, I like it. And uh, yeah, another goal because he scored in the the, the 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 first the draw last time out. Outstanding stuff for Bristol City, who will be facing Nottingham Forest then next time. What about West Ham, the only Premier League side to go out to a team from a lower division? Yeah, they they're struggling with with important players not being available because for most of the season West Ham had this very established uh, formation especially midfield and up front because the back line they had they had a few changes but you had Alvarez, Suchek, uh, Ward-Prowse and then you had Kudus, Paqueta and, and Bowen and now they don't have Paqueta they don't have Kudus and they, they don't have Bowen so you miss the the spark and the lack of these unpredictable things that Paqueta offers and you have the pace uh, that Kudus has and, and he was linking really well with Paqueta and Bowen. He's been outstanding this season. He's delivering a lot of goals and the mobility he gives up front. So there's a lot to replace, to make up for there. And and West Ham is just going to have to find a way. Okay, you got Bowen out with an ankle injury. Paqueta... Two months uh, he should be absent for with his calf problem. Kudus is at AFCON and even Mikel Antonio is injured. So who they got instead? Well, they played Danny Ings in the cup, which I'm not sure is ever the answer these days to any question. But I mean, the, I think the, the issue West Ham fans have is that they've got one of the best youth teams in the country, you know. And then they've got Divine Obama, who only got nine minutes at Bristol City. And I think, you know, he's, he's a really good prospect. He's, at the moment, he's not willing to sign a new contract with West Ham because I think you know David Moyes doesn't just doesn't seem to trust the the younger players and it's similar with Roy Hodgson at Palace as well and I think it's um you know when when clubs are in that position in sort of mid-table in the Premier League it is it's a time to to give them a chance definitely what, what do you think about the Hammers prospects against the Blades away at Sheffield United this Sunday I feel they should be pretty confident to get a win but when you were talking about Pakatar like this season, I'm almost... I need to keep a list of, you know, the players that you see and you're just like, wow, I've got to watch him play twice, I think, and, like, can't wait till the next time. He is an incredible footballer if you get the chance to see him live. The amount of stuff he does that doesn't even make it into, like, the highlights reels is ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's probably not helping any West Ham fans listening because he's out <laughs> injured, but 
I just wanted to add that. And Sheffield United, their their last Premier League match was that uh, two new defeat to Manchester City, where they were completely dominant. But Chris Wilder was talking a lot about uh, defending in a more courageous, braver way. And Man City was obviously a, a true test to them. And he's been experimenting as well with the with the players up front. So for the past couple of matches, he started Ozula and and benched McBurney. So he's getting to know his players and, and he's very clear and upfront about it. And so, yeah, I'm interested to see what they can actually produce because they've been struggling defending, of course. At the same time, West Ham hasn't been in the best scoring form. Mm. So so I, I'm interested to see how this will match up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. West Ham had four clean sheets in a row in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. It's true. I mean, also, we should always respect Premier League games, fixtures with um, historic beef between the clubs. Obviously, this oh, yeah. is the Carlos Tevez Carlos fixture. Tevez. So I'm sure some Sheffield United fans will be mentioning that during the game to the, to the away fans. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Other FA Cup news. Wednesday, Norwich won 3-1 at Bristol Rovers. That means they're going to be up against Liverpool in round four. That's a fixture that's redolent of goals, eh? Yes. Liverpool Norwich. Luis Suarez energy. We've already mentioned them once this podcast. Mm. Have we? Yeah. When did we mention Suarez? Before? I think I mentioned them um, just for that ability of being able to just know where the ball was going to oh, be before right, okay. it was there. Um, but yeah, it was a John Ruddy who basically, I think, didn't he, he tweet when Suarez left Liverpool for Barcelona that he was in line for like a cut of the deal. <laughs> like he was obviously joking because of all of the goals. I think he was, it was great watching those games because I think they just kind of, encapsulated what Luis Suarez was when he was at Liverpool and even what he went went on to do at Barcelona. Yeah. It was like he was just having like a mini goal of the season competition in every game against Yeah, Norwich. it was ridiculous. It was, I mean, I think around 2% of the goals Norwich have ever let in in the Premier League have been scored by Luis Suarez. Good so Lord. He uh, gets getting back on loan for one game, I think. <laughs> it's a chance window, why not? That Everton Palace game you weren't able to watch... Right about it, saw the highlights. You saw the highlights, okay. <laughs> yeah. And there was a lovely free kick from Andre Gomez. Gomez with his right foot, is it going to be Harrison with his left? Central position, three yards from the D, free kick taken by Gomez! Yes! That was a fabulous free kick from Andre Gomez! I was actually interested to see how Everton and Forest would uh, respond after the allegations, but also... Uh, with Palace, they've they've been in a very poor form, recent form, and Roy Hodgson being criticised for for subbing Eze, and uh, away fans chanting, "You don't know what you're doing." Mm. He's obviously under under pressure. Uh, he said he was uh, trying to take care of the players in terms of physicality because they have a, a, a very tough fixture on the weekend. He, he wished he could play all his players for 95 minutes, but that's not the case because they're facing Arsenal. Mm. Yes, they're facing Arsenal on Saturday. So, yeah, things are not looking great for, for Palace. Indeed not. Everton, as you mentioned, once again charged with further FFP breaches. We'll hear more about that when 
when that news comes through. But in the meantime, Andre Gomez, the first Everton player to score directly from a free kick since Luca Dean in 2019. It's a long time. How long is it since, like, is there certain teams that have got... I'm just looking at you now, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> but there must be, like, a team that just hasn't scored directly from a free kick for, like, longer than that. Yeah, there will be. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't tell you. But, um, <laughs> okay. but I mean, the, in general, no, but in general, the, the um, direct free kicks are, are goals are, are dying art. Are they? Yeah. What is that? Um, I've actually got a chart somewhere which shows that they kind of peaked. There's a little peak around the late 90s. Sort of what? Juninho Punimbacano? Well, and David Beckham, and it was very much right. the, the thing to do. And then obviously there was a little Ronaldo inspired knuckleball revolution around the late 2000s. But yeah, these days. Because it's you know not a very reliable way of scoring goals, teams don't do it as much. I can't believe in those names I didn't include Sunisa Mihalovic, the greatest statistically scoring directly from a free kick mm. player ever. Well, the greatest Premier League season for direct free kicks was 2013-14. Yaya Toure took seven and scored oh, five. Right. Yeah, they were like penalties. He yeah, most of them were from the D, and he almost like invented a sort of 19-yard penalty that season, which was which was good. But yeah, I mean, the, these days it's um. Clubs tend to do little, you know, clever little moves. Mm. By the way, am I the only one who forgot Andre Gomez played for Everton still? Oh, no. Is uh, that normal? Too. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he turned up against Tottenham and was like a revelation. I was like, who's this young kid? <laughs> I was like, oh, wait. He's yeah. just been... He was injured for a while. He, he was, was injured for like a long while, yeah. Everton's prize for getting past Palace will be a visit from Luton. Luton, who made it through their replay with League One's Bolton. Uh, held at the fragrantly named Tough Sheet Community Stadium. That was on Tuesday. You'll be tuning into that, won't you? Everton Luton. Yeah, well, Luton actually beat Everton earlier in the season at Goodison Park. One of the, you know, I think that was the first win actually of yeah. the season, and it felt like a real turning point for them. And Everton has been based off that sort of energy ever since, like the chase for how it feels to win a Premier League game. But yeah, Rob Edwards went Rob viral Edwards. after the game against Bolton. Because he's a very handsome man. Just for that, really. Yeah. yeah. So Luton just basically, you know, it was a post-match. I think the video is like three or four minutes long and it's got like 10 million views on Twitter. So I don't know how well it's getting on anywhere else. Um, but yeah, it's good lighting, to be fair. He's just, he's sparkling, he's chatting, he's really relaxed. Obviously, Luton haven't won a lot of games this season. So it's a win, he's relaxed. I think they were going on holiday as well, which mm. obviously, it's always nice when you're going on holiday. Mm. Uh, but the internet has just like lost its mind. Right. With how there was a poignant was. note in your voice when you say it's always nice when you go. Have you not got a holiday schedule for a while, Kiva? No, I've. Do you know I'm like I need to book things in. Yeah. I'm still like I've got dates like March, April, June. Right. Yeah. And like I want to like city breaks March, April, and then I want like a proper week at the beginning. Where of June. are you thinking of going? I'm thinking of Greece. Are you? I watched right. I watched Shirley Valentine the other week. I see. Classic. Mm. It's always a good choice for me, yeah. Uh, elsewhere in the FA Cup replays, Tony Mowbray got his first win as Birmingham manager in their clash with Hull. Uh, Birmingham will be at Leicester in round four. League Two's Newport beat National League's Eastleigh. Uh, that was 3-1, and as a result, Newport will be welcoming Manchester United FC to Rodney Parade a week on Sunday. Magic of the cup, Claxon. Yeah. Mm. And, you you know, would you be surprised? Would you? Anyway, oh, let's finish off our FA Cup third round replay roundup with possibly the liveliest game of them all, which was, I'm going to say, 
Wolves' 3-2 victory over Brentford at Molyneux. It featured, well, five goals. It featured extra time football. It also featured a fan being brought out of the stands to officiate. Magnificent story, this. This is Ross Bennett, who's a season ticket holder at Molyneux. And he noticed that uh, one of the that the linesman essentially became unwell and the fourth official had to stand in. But it meant that they were going to be without a fourth official for the extra time period of football. So he made himself known to uh, the Classic officiating Ross Bennett, that, that. Like right? a doctor on a plane, isn't it, or something? Just exactly, like... yeah. Well, but, I was with, gonna... but with TV. <laughs> with, uh, yeah, with well, thousands wasn't... of people watching yeah, you. Yeah. No, that's I... confidence. It's that's really a, confidence. That's a it's... another level. Well, Jimmy Hill had done it years before. He actually refereed the game famously. That's one of the Jimmy Hill stories. Yeah. But, but anyway, so I, I thought maybe they'd appealed over the PA. Is there a referee in there? But no, he kind of went, I can, I've, you know, he's <laughs> done his badges. Do we know that the, the linesman was even ill? Is it just Ross Bennett <laughs> just put, pushing his way in? Possibly and, so. And how do you prove, like, you know, you've got you your like badges? Little... Maybe he's got, like hey, yeah. Superman, he's got his Let me through, I'm a referee. Yeah. Oh, you probably have a little badge just in case, no? And so you anyway, don't have he... any other alternatives. It's the only guy with his arm up and, oh, yes, yeah, just pick me. I love it. the idea it. of, like, off-duty referees as well. Like, you know, yeah. like an off-duty police. So in other like, sports, yeah, yeah, yeah. you will in see... In a train station, get 10 yards, please, come on. I've <laughs> seen, for example, the Chicago Blackhawks bring in a fan uh, as, a, as a goalkeeper because they actually have designated people who, who play for lower league hockey teams who go along to their games and if if they what? Su- yeah seriously I've seen a guy come out of the of the of the with the seats you know out of the crowd the bleachers the bleachers yeah <laughs> uh, it, it, at, uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks and, and come on and suit that, up and he did really well they won the game surely that negates you can't have a random player in the, that negates they're designated the, they have this in some way designated is, but back to this guy here this is his moment <laughs> Ross Bennett so he had half an hour of um, well Thomas Frank in his ear because he was the fourth official well he had, you say he had half an hour he had a did the added time he could have added on 30 minutes yeah, if he exactly. wanted uh, he said I could hear VAR going on in my earpiece and I wasn't really sure what was going on uh, he said the Neither game was then we. decided by the <laughs> by a Wolves penalty which uh, he presumably didn't step in yeah <laughs> see but like he- that could never happen like you could never ref like for a team that you support so that's like such a rare thing yeah Oh, oh, wow. It's incredible. Although I reckon, like Mike Dean goes to Trammy Games just hoping for this moment. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely. He, he said that it was uh, the only thing was not being able to celebrate the third goal. I just thought I can't go running down the touchline if we go and win the game, but I wouldn't change it because it's an experience I'll never do again. Well, who knows? Well, anyway, yeah, yeah. Ross uh, Bennett, Wolves making it past Brentford anyway with that three-two win. And Natalie, you actually came to talk about a different Wolves figure. From that encounter, <laughs> yeah. No, after that, it's hard to follow. Really, because yeah. the guy who actually won the game was yes. Mateus Cunha. Yeah, it was. It was mm. Mateus Cunha. But did he, he really win? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the real winner yeah. here? Yeah, so football yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah. Football, yeah, football. But but Mateus, Mateus was was very happy as well. I imagine. Uh, yeah, it's not because he's doing really well at at Wolves, and recently he spoke to to ESPN Brazil about uh, his spell at, at Wolves, and I was very surprised with how much he he hyped and he like the the high level of compliments to Gary O'Neill. He said that his relationship with him is incredible and he's the main reason why he's playing so well because 
in the Olympics, Matheus Cunha, he, he played really well as a striker, but he, he, he wasn't always a striker. It, it wasn't his position. He prefers playing with more freedom, as he's playing now at Wolves. And, and then he went to Atlético de Madrid, and, and things didn't go really well for him because they were expecting him to be that striker, and then he goes to Wolves, and Gary O'Neill is the guy who says, okay... You're not playing as a striker. I'm going to give you more freedom. And he's very thankful to that. And, and he credits Gary O'Neill as one of the best managers he's ever had because he's very intelligent in the sense of just understanding how to get the best out of the players, uh, thinking about the team. So he's, he's very pleased with the manager and the way he's playing. But that also depends on Huang. And Huang, of course, is, is yeah. in the Asian Cup now. So maybe he won't have as much freedom now without Huang, uh, which will be uh, something to watch. But but yeah, it, it took him a while and because he had that pressure of being the striker, being the, the goal scorer. And now he's just playing with more freedom and he's doing well. He scored or assisted eight goals in his last nine Premier League matches. Wolves pulling up three wins in a row in the Premier League, winning this game in extra time as well, which means, as we were hearing from Tim Spears on Sunday, that they will get a fourth round Black Country derby against West Brom, a fixture which hasn't been played in front of fans for 12 years. Says Cunha, I played Brazil against Argentina, I played Real Madrid against Atletico Madrid, and now I really want to play Wolves versus West Brom and make history. He said those words. That's great. Yeah. Can they be like someone just print them out and like stick them to a wall somewhere? (laughs) Like, iconic. But, I, I mean, it must be... It's going to be something special when that game comes around a week on Sunday or whenever it is, weekend after this week. It's a big game, yeah. Hmm. Um, remember one when West Brom went to Molyneux and, and thrashed Wolves, I think it was 5-0, and uh, and um, Mick McCarthy got sacked. So, and then they couldn't yeah. replace him. And it was almost like they knew they couldn't replace him, but it was almost like losing that heavily to your local rivals. You, they had to get rid of him. Got to do something. All That's right, the beauty the... of rivalries, right? Mm. <laughs> you can put Brazil-Argentina, the Madrid derby, and Wolves-West Brom in the same sentence, and, and it makes sense. It totally yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Brighton Wolves, not so much, but that's the game that's coming up next for Gary O'Neill's side. That's on Monday evening. Uh, longest character-based fixture in top-flight history. That's Brighton and Hove Albion against Wolverhampton Wanderers. 43 characters, uh, which, is, the second which is what I want in a, in a football squad. Uh, What's the second most? Probably Brighton and Hove Albion against West Bromwich Albion. I don't know. Probably like that was your most Susie Dent moment ever. Yeah. Well, interestingly, a few years ago... 2019, there were 43 touches in the uh, penalty area combined in that game. What's wow. the shortest fixture? Um, Hull? No, they're Hull City. So it's probably like Arsenal-Everton. Really? Mm. That's disappointing. Did your computer break when it was 43 touches in... I got very excited. It broke because I hit it because I was so excited, yeah. <laughs> As for Brentford following that defeat, two Wolves, uh, they're going to be at home to Nottingham Forest. That's Saturday tea time. And why is that game... A keenly awaited fixture for Brentford fans. Why? Because Ivan Tony will be back available for the first time since the 6th of May, 2023. Does he enjoy scoring against Nottingham Forest? Yes. Yes, he does. He's netted in all three of his previous Premier League meetings with them. Hmm. All right. They need a win, don't they, the Bees? Yes, they do. Both teams, in fact. I mean, I mentioned before, perilously close to... All that business in the relegation zone, but... Um, Aren't you curious mm. to see 
in which level Ivan Tony is coming back because okay he's he's been training with the rest of the team since since September but in the past few weeks we've been hearing about oh Arsenal and Chelsea and all these clubs interested in him and he gave an interview uh, as well talking about it and and saying uh, that he still wants to play for big clubs and and playing big matches but at the same time he wants to pay back all the the trust and confidence that that Brentford gave to him but. We have the Euros, so he needs to play in a high level because he still wants to. He still has hopes uh, to to make it to the Euros. Uh, if he wants this move, he needs to play in a high level. But it's eight months. I mean, it, it's a lot. So I'm 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 intrigued. I'm I'm very much. I, yeah, I guess a, a similar story was the Cantona ban. That was about the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. He came back, scored. I think his first game back against Liverpool at Old, Old Trafford. Oh yeah. So it's an interesting one because. Your point is spot on. It's like when a player's injured, obviously they've got to build back up. But when mm-hmm. they're just suspended, it's yeah. like, can you replicate that? In I mean, there's been lots of videos of Tony scoring in, you know, B B games and, yeah. and friendlies, but it's not. Do not they quite call the same them thing. like B B games? B B games, yeah. Uh, Jaden Sancho not suspended, but very much frozen out mm. at Carrington, and and he came back and, admittedly, only came off the bench, but certainly had an impact on Dortmund's mm. game last weekend. I, for one. Reckon he'll come in and do the business. Bag. I think he might. The other game taking place this weekend, you mentioned it before, Natalie, it is Arsenal against Crystal Palace. The Gunners, who've had three defeats in a row in all competitions as their title bid has begun to fall apart. And it's all the Brazilians up front for, isn't it? Yes. I'm, I'm very, very curious. Because I think maybe Arsenal is the team who can benefit more from the winter break. Okay. Before, because before that, they, they were in a terrible form. And uh, some of their main players, they just look shattered. Like Saka and Martinelli. And they, they are those type of players who really rely on their energy levels and intensity uh, for the way they play. So and and I think like just Arsenal, they, they seem like the team who who needed to to you know freshen up in mm. terms of not only physicality but ideas as well. In in some points, in some parts of the season, we saw Arteta trying to create new combinations up front with his uh, up front players. It hasn't been working. Everybody's talking about uh, the killer, the striker. They need a goal scorer. So yeah. What are they going to come up with? How high are the energy levels? Is the confidence back? There are a lot of question marks around Arsenal right now. Okay. They had last weekend off, so you know, they might have a bit more zip to them and they'll be taking on Crystal Palace, who are a bit zipless of mm-hmm. late. Yeah. Yeah. Roy Hodgson's been managing for longer than Mikel Arteta has been alive. How about that for a stat? Will, um, You've never seen Roy Hodgson with Salt Bay either, as far as I know. I, I'm not saying Mikel Arteta with Salt Bay was that last week yeah when they were did away he? yeah oh, um, no. a lot of people were a little bit disappointed that's up there with Jordan Henderson going to Al Etifak for me mm. really yeah it wasn't a great look um, mm. but you know time to bounce back but Salt Bay is everywhere so it's like how do you avoid I think you can just I say think, no yeah just like say like footballers no. yeah, yeah I think they get they quite like it though don't they yeah mm. Calvin Phillips no one's got him yet no one's picked him up yet won't someone come and rescue Calvin? Phillips? I mean, we talked about players coming back without having played. That that would be a test. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Such well. a weird transfer window this one's been. Yeah. Yeah. We had Timo Werner, and they were like, oh, "Okay, things are happening," and then Oof. nothing. Okay, but is uh, Calvin Phillips? That's been the situation for so long that I kind of expected that would be one of the early deals to get yeah, done. Yeah, me too. But nothing. Roy Hodgson was speaking about the saying that he would like he can offer first. He's team on a lot of money. 
at Manchester Easy. City, yeah, okay. which makes it even alone tricky. Mm. But yeah, this. I mean, we mentioned it earlier, but I think that the the threat of points deductions has made this transfer window quite bleak. But mm. you know, there we go. There you go. Uh, Palace have only won twice at Arsenal in the last forty-five years. Uh, yeah, that's just it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. It's true. Excellent. Anyway, that's the Premier League. Now, still to come today, we'll hear from Meher Mazahi on a surprise-packed opening set of games at the Africa Cup of Nations. And next up, we'll herald the return of the WSL and ask if Chelsea's long era of dominance is finally about to end. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, WSL returns this weekend after their month-long winter break. And a big game to kick things off, Kivers. You've got Chelsea against Man United. That's Sunday lunchtime. Chelsea very much in the news yeah. over the break. Obviously, Sam Kerr, ACL. Sadness, another player. It's like those words, ACL. The three letters are just... Yeah. But yeah, this game's massive, I think, for both teams because Chelsea will want to obviously make a statement that they're going to continue to obviously be at the top of the table. Tem Hayes is, you know final months now at the mm. club which you know feels do you see that impacting their their form at all the fact that the manager's leaving yeah i feel like it will you know they'll all start to think oh well you know there's only so many games left and emma 
just seems like a manager completely committed to Chelsea. Like, obviously, she's you know going to be with the US women's national team, but she'll want to end on an absolute high if she can. And like this era has been ridiculous, but obviously that Sam Kerr injury just sort of adds a little bit of you know doubt maybe for um, whether they can continue to be at the level that they're always at because Sam Kerr makes a lot of things happen for them. But um, Man United really need a win because they're currently on points with Liverpool, 18 points. They're in fourth. They finished runners-up last season. Was it by a point or something? Like So they were really good, obviously. Lost Alessia Russo and things like that. But they just haven't been the same same team this season. And this game could really turn that around for them and then add that little bit of added, you know, um, sort of jeopardy into the, the title race. Yeah, and, and with some care and Emma Hayes, it's just going to be weird to see Emma Hayes last few months at Chelsea without some care because she played such an instrumental mm. part in in the spell that, that Emma had. And, and I think it can have uh, an emotional impact because when you hear players talking about Emma Hayes and everything that she's done, not only for Chelsea, but for the WSL, for women's football here, they, it, there's just a very strong emotional link. So it's 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 kind of a cliche, the thing of uh, we're going to play for our manager, but I think it is absolutely true. I think they are going to play for their manager for this past, uh, this last few months that, that she has uh, at Chelsea. Okay. Three points clear currently, Chelsea are of Man City and Arsenal. ACLs have been such a such a blight of this uh, WSL cam- campaign. But there's been a lot of talk about why that is. Is there any kind of consistent explanation yeah i mean this, yeah it just sort of like you, the studies are still happening and then they'll say one thing and then you know even like link to the menstrual cycle and then you'll hear another thing that sort of you know is something else and it's just like you you don't know like yeah. it's it's kind of worrying like if i was a, a player um not an amateur one like i am you know you'd be worried going out and it happening like arsenal last season were just like completely you know but a lot of teams, it's happened to so many. Yeah, and yeah, it's a lot of factors. It's just the calendar that's more intense, the the the, the level of, of of football and intensity, especially and, and contact. It's it's all been changing. If you watch the the World Cup in 2015, 19, and 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 last year, you can see the differences. So mm. so the game is evolving, and the truth is uh, there there aren't a lot. Of there aren't as many studies for for women's sports and and women's physicality as there is for men. Mm-hmm. So they're they're just learning alongside and and quality of the pitch and of the pitches and and the calendar and how they're working things out. You know that there is just a lot of factors that can contribute to there. There isn't a final statement. Oh, it's because of this, but mm. it is a lot of of things that are happening. And and yeah, it's it's such a shame. I feel like I'm now able to know when it happens to a player because mm. it happens that often. I'm like, I think they've done their ACL, which, you know, it's never nice to guess that. But you can kind of tell because you know, whether it happens on the ball or off it, the reaction is usually like, you know, yeah. hitting the ground and then the pain goes away and they walk off the pitch or get stretched off. And yeah, then that's you the strange know. thing, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, the numbers, it's like in basketball, it's three and a half times more likely to happen to women than men. And in really? football, it's 2.8 times more likely. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, as, uh, as you're saying, you know, there's, there's no definitive reason yet, but there's lots of factors that... And it, I guess the only positive is that we are in an era now where it can be repaired. You know, obviously players, Brian Clough did his ACL and retired at 27 because literally when he did it back then, there was no 
there was no way around it. So, but it's such a hard road back from that injury. You basically have to sort of rebuild the knee and learn how to move it again. That it's just yeah, um, and it's not always easy, uh, you know, um, for women who it happens to because not every club, you know, will have the funds or fund the, the player. Mm. You know, when you go into like championship clubs and things like that, like how many clubs will you know make sure the player gets the operation within, you know good amount of time and the rehab and everything else so that all adds to it as well Sam Kerr you'd imagine will be well taken care of by Chelsea Uh, this weekend well there's also Man City Liverpool City we mentioned three points behind Chelsea that's Liverpool have been absolutely flying this season just they they had a game the two of them a 4-3 back in November in the cup yeah, uh, like Liverpool this season, there's just something, the back at Melwood now, do you think, you know, that's one of the reasons that, you know, Liverpool have bought Melwood and obviously the, the women's team are training there. It's just like loads of different layers to it, but it just feels like Matt Beard's got them going in the right direction. They've become this team that maybe like Aston Villa was last season, where it's like, you know, the, the team that always comes up with the upsets, which, you know, from a Liverpool perspective is great to see. But breaking into that top four in the WSL is so difficult. So, you know, if Liverpool or any other club manage to do it, then it'll be just like an incredible achievement. Like, I think feel like it's, um, you know, we talk about the top six, like top four in WSL is pretty much on lock. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first place often feels that way with Emma Hayes and Chelsea. They're currently seven points behind Chelsea, but they're only goal difference behind Man United, who are currently fourth. So big game that for uh, Liverpool. Natalie, you're not going to. You're going to go and see West Ham Spurs on yes. Sunday night. Why? Yes. There are a lot of interesting things happening at Spurs uh, this season because with the new manager, uh, with Robert Villaham, they play a more possession, offensive football, brand of football. And, and it, it didn't always work well for them. For Against Man City, for example, they lost 7-0. Uh, they lost 4-1, four, four if I'm not mistaken, to, to Man United as well. But they really they stick to their guns. And, and their last uh, match, their the last WSL match was the win against Arsenal which was big. It was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and and it it just showed, especially the goal they scored with Martha Thomas, it showed the style of football they're they're trying to to build there that is very similar to to what the men's team is doing, possession-based and and we're going to stick to it. And with West Ham, they haven't been doing well this season. They just have one win this season. But during this international break, they, they signed three players and it was uh, three really good signings, including Christy Mewis from from the the U.S. national team. So there's the expectation that they can show something different now with the new signing. So it's been very interesting with, especially with Spurs. I've I've worked in a few of of, of their matches, and it's 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 eye catching too. It's very entertaining to to watch them play. It's cool. Excellent. West Ham currently in a perilous position, 11th in the table. Only goal difference away from the relegation spot currently occupied by Bristol City. All righty. So WSL coming back this weekend. Uh, over in Africa, meanwhile, the Africa Cup of Nations is into, as of this Thursday evening, the second set of group stage matches. Let's catch up with Maher Mazahi after this. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast oh, Network. God. Afco and everybody. First round of group stage matches ended on Wednesday night. There was uh, there's been a wave of surprises really with Egypt, Algeria, Cameroon, Nigeria all drawing two major upsets. 
the brave warriors of Namibia, who'd never won an AFCON game in nine previous attempts, beating former champions Tunisia 1-0 on Tuesday. And on Sunday, Ghana beaten 2-1 by Cape Verde in stoppage time, sparking unrest and even a scuffle at the team hotel involving manager Chris Hooten. Hey, Maher Mazahi joins us now from the Côte d'Ivoire. Maher, how's your opening set of days been? It's been good. So I went to the opening match and opening matches at the AFCON are always very hectic. Um, you know, there's heads of states that show up. There's a whole security apparatus that has to be installed. It takes sometimes two, three hours to get to the stadium. Uh, there are never enough seats in the media tribune. Uh, but overall, I like being at the opening ceremonies because it really sets the tone for the tournament. And then immediately after, I went to that second group. Uh, second group of games in Group B, where you had Egypt draw with Mozambique and then Ghana lose to Cape Verde. After that, immediately after that, I organized a soiree for journalists, administrators at a local hotel over here. And we just had a discussion about um, how we could sort of develop African football, how it's necessary for us to be united. And that was really, really stimulating as well. Um, and now I'm right back into coverage for, for the second match day of group stages. Excellent. Well, so Thursday evening, today as we record, you've got some big games. Probably the most notable is Egypt, who stuttered in their opener against this Ghana, this Ghana team who got off to a terrible start. You're going along to that game. Yes, I will be at the Stade Felix Oufoué Boigny, which they nicknamed Felicia Happiness. It's an interesting one for a few different reasons. Egypt were really one of my favorites coming into this tournament. And in the first match, I think they made a tactical error, and that seems to be the consensus from the Egyptian journalists as well. They moved Mo Salah, not from the right wing, uh, where he usually plays in a 4-3-3 and has you know, a lot more liberty to be play a little closer to the striker and get in behind space, uh, behind the, the defending line. But they actually moved him behind the striker this time around in a sort of number 10 role. And at times it worked, especially early in the match, but I think he had to run a little more. The humidity got to him and he sort of faded as the, as the match went along. And it's interesting for Ghana for another reason, is that Ghanaians here are completely and utterly apathetic. They feel like it's better to completely dissociate themselves from this national team because they do not want to suffer any more heartbreak, as has been the case over the last two AFCONs. They lost to Cape Verde in the opening match, and there's very, 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 very little belief that they can do anything against Egypt tonight as well. OK, one fan, certainly not too apathetic, uh, trying to get to Chris Hutton at the team hotel <laughs> after that uh, opening game defeat. So it wasn't a physical altercation, thankfully. It was just a, just a verbal altercation, which is obviously not, not ideal as well. Um, Chris Hutton refused to address it at the press conference yesterday. He said um, that he's you know, solely focused on today's match, as you would expect him to be. He's very much a gentleman, you know, very kind. I think everybody recognizes and acknowledges that. However... Uh, when I speak to Ghanaian fans, sometimes they want him to be a little more rude, a little tougher on his team. And even his center half, Alexander Jiku, who was man of the match, despite them losing against Cape Verde, he had a fantastic match. He said that we need to be tougher. We are soft. That's what he said. And the indication is that it has to come from up above, uh, has to come from somebody like Chris Hewton. So uh, we'll see if that changes at all as the tournament progresses. OK, but the opening week has been a very exciting one in terms of results. We mentioned the big teams uh, stumbling, not just Ghana, but uh, your favourites, Egypt, your side, Algeria as well. Uh, but uh, fantastic wins for Namib Namibia and, and Cape Verde. Yeah. So for Algeria, for example, they started off hot, just as Egypt started off hot against Mozambique. They seemed to take control for the first 30 minutes and then they fade as these 
as their opponents sort of grew into the game. I'm trying to find a common, you know, denominator here. Uh, some people think it's the humidity that levels the playing field and that teams that actually try to play a high press or try to monopolize possession, as those two teams did, uh, will tend to fade in the second half. Morocco yesterday, for example, against Tanzania, only had 52 to 48% possession. They did not play a high press. They actually let Tanzania have the ball if they were in their own third of the pitch. So I think a little bit of tactical in intelligence plays into that. But for Namibia, that's their first ever win at the African Cup of Nations. And they're in a group with Tunisia, uh, Mali, and South Africa. So they were supposed to be the minnows of that group. So for them to get three points off the trot, that's absolutely massive because in this format of the African Cup of Nations, you can qualify to the knockout stages with just three points as the best third place team, as two teams did last year, uh, Comoros and Tunisia. Magnificent. Are Algeria going to bounce back after their point against Angola? And how unlucky was uh, Baghdad Bunadaj? Am I pronouncing Ooh. that right? <laughs> Not to have that second goal. That, that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he slipped in behind the defense. It was one of, I think, his four offsides that day. Um, There's a lofted ball that comes in over the top. He controls it on his chest, but he controls it and it pops up a little bit. And it's a spectacular bicycle kick that finds the bottom corner. Um, very, very unlucky. I think he was maybe a few centimeters offside, but it was offside. Algeria are looking to bounce back. They need to bounce back, but really they're playing against Burkina Faso, which are one of the most underrated sides in this tournament. Burkina Faso have made it to the semifinals in two of the last three editions of the African Cup of Nations. And, you know, in the African Cup of Nations, Didier Drogba told, told this to me uh, a month ago when I interviewed him around the Ballon d'Or time. He said, you need players that can adapt. Adaptability and ability to overcome is one of the most important attributes. Algeria have players that usually play, you know, they're from the diaspora. They usually grew up in France. They, they were raised in France. Take a player like Hussam Awar, who came through the Lyon Academy and played his whole life, you know, on perfectly manicured pitches. This is the first time he's played in a context like this. And we're not sure that he can, uh, you know, handle the humidity, handle the little bits and bubbles on, on the pitch. Whereas Burkina Faso, they have like midfielders that you've probably never heard of, Ibrahim Blatitore or Gustavo Sangari, who's playing in the third division in France. But when they play in the Africa Cup of Nations, they can make your superstars look really, really bad. So Algeria have a tough uh, task ahead of them, but three points uh, is absolutely imperative for them. Okay. Uh, you're off to Egypt, Ghana this evening. What else are you most looking forward to from the, the, the next few days? Just the, the lineup of matches that we have over the next four or five days is, is simply incredible. Today's Ivory Coast, Nigeria. Uh, so the hosts against Nigeria who only picked up a point. You have Egypt, Ghana, which we talked about. Senegal, Cameroon tomorrow. Algeria, Burkina Faso, Tunisia, Mali on Saturday as well. And then on Sunday, Morocco versus DR Congo. These are all heavyweight matches, heavyweight matchups on the continent. So, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the heavyweights to um, sort of find their form, find their rhythm. Because, you know, preparing for, in, for any major competition international, in international football is difficult because you only have sometimes a week or two to sort of put a system in place and to, to sort of find chemistry between players. And I think that as well can level the playing field, whereas, especially if teams are looking to sit back and, and play for draws. But now, you know, they've been together for a little more than three weeks. I'm expecting them to find their form a little bit and hopefully we'll see some of these heavy hitters uh, start to score more goals and win these matches. Magnificent. Well, you enjoy yourself out there, Maher, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. It's always one of the highlights of my, my tournament speaking to you guys, so take care. <laughs> Maher Mazahi there. I look forward to hearing more of his adventures in the Côte d'Ivoire. Yeah, and just a reminder, if you want to uh, have a look at some of the sort of superstars and next big things, up-and-coming mm. players, you can go onto the Athletics AFCON radar and check them out. Great. That's uh, it for today's show, I think, Natalie. Mm -hmm. 
You enjoy yourself. So you've got Spurs West Ham. Are you doing any Premier League this weekend? Or yeah, not? no, I'm with the WSL this weekend. Boom. Yeah. Excellent. Kiva, where are you off to? I'm actually going to a tribute dinner for Emma Hayes on Sunday. Oh, really? WA, okay. so that'll be exciting. Well, yeah, it, she'll probably, if Emma Hayes and tribute dinner, she'll be moving all the salt and peppers around and the, the, the hors d'oeuvre to illustrate some tactical thing. She can't keep her hands off foodstuffs. She's just uh, really no, uh, she, you know, explain tactics first, eat later. That's her. Honestly, with... she, like, I wanted to be my life coach. Yeah. Just, if she ever gets into that business, she would make a killing. Strong personality, clear vision, full heart, yes. all that stuff. Boom. Lovely stuff. Thank you so much for being with us today, Kiva and Natalie and Duncan and Charlie and Liam in the booth today. And listener, you. So nice of you. Uh, we'll be back if you want some more on Sunday evening, perhaps Monday morning for you, with our review of what happens in the Premier League and other things too, like WSL. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.